0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch.
1: I'm going to bring up our friend Nicole Ponder if you want to give her a round of applause. Um one of, the, one of our values that we have in our community is diversity, um, that we all come together. We bring our stories, our personalities, and our gifts, and we kind of lay those on the table for the benefit of others to learn who God is through somebody else's perspective. And Nicole's been up here before um, teaching and kind of giving words, and, and we really wanted to bring her up again to kind of share out of her journey um, in our in our series called Crux. So I'm going to turn it over to her in a moment, but I want to pray over her. And if you guys would I uh, just kind of extend a hand as a symbol of empowerment towards her, we're going to pray over her um And allow her to lead us tonight uh, deeper into the presence of Jesus. Um, So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for our sister Nicole, the gift that she is to this community, not just in, um, you know, the perspective that she brings to us, but just by her presence, Um, and we're all better off for knowing her uh, because she reveals you to us in some very specific ways. And so Father, tonight as she's bringing to us the word that you've placed upon her heart, I pray that we would be able to receive that, that we would uh, trust her, that we'd have confidence in her uh, to take us somewhere beautiful, um, and that each of us would walk away changed, not just because we've heard uh, from Nicole, but because we've heard from you. Uh, So Lord, continue to bless this evening. We give you permission to move in us and through us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Ryan, for that intro. I enrich all of your lives by just having my presence here. Thanks for that one. <laughs> Good evening y'all. Um, like you said, I have, I have spoke a few times before, but I just want to reemphasize how honored I am to speak with you guys. and it kind of makes it a little bit easier tonight that you're all in the middle. so I don't have to go over here and go over there. So anyway, um, as Ryan was talking about, we have been in a series called Crux. And we've been talking about the central tenets of our faith. And the word crux here, it's the vital, basic, decisive, and pivotal point. And in Latin, it also means a cross. And tonight, um, I'm going to go a little bit further into this series. Uh, A few weeks ago, Ryan spoke about faith. And he talked about how in our faith, we trust God by walking the parallel tracks of both worship... And repentance. And last week, Cole spoke on repentance. And then tonight, I'm sorry, he spoke on worship. But tonight, I'm gonna speak on repentance and what we do to get there and what we gain once we arrive there. And all these topics that have been in this series are so important. And I'm gonna look at this tonight and looking at confession and repentance as well as the bookends of those subjects which would be sin and forgiveness. Um, Lord, I just thank you for this evening. Let my words be your words, Lord. Don't let me stand in the way of anything you want to say, God. And I ask you to open everyone's ears here tonight to hear what you have to say. In your name I pray. So, recently, whenever I was studying for this, there was this really cool scientific study about confession and forgiveness. And a lot of us are very familiar with how forgiveness does really good things for our health and our mental health. But they were also talking about how confessing is really, really helpful for our mental health and our physical well-being. And they said that they found that even written confessions really make a big difference in people's well-being and how they, they view their life and the ordeals of their life, whether it be traumas or sufferings or things like that. And it's really important that we talk about those things. And then is anyone familiar with Brene Brown? She's someone who the past few years has really, really, her platform as a doctor, a psychologist, I believe it is, has just skyrocketed. She's uh, wrote a few books about, like, shame and vulnerability and courage and all of those really awesome things that we don't really talk about that much. And she says that shame really has its roots from silence and secrets. Because in our society, we don't like to talk about the the mess that we're in, the issues we have, our sin, and in confession and forgiveness is even sometimes thought as a weakness, and that's not how confession and forgiveness are looked, in, looked at in Scripture, and so I think it's really important for us to talk about these things, the mess-ups, the, the good and the bad, the, the profane and the holy, and really look at them together, and you know, I am a really positive person. I feel like that I don't like to focus only on the bad stuff, but we can't only focus on the right stuff that we don't realize there are bad things going on in our life. You know, faith doesn't deny that problems exist, right? We can't, we can't deny problems exist. We live in this world. But our faith denies those problems a deep influence in our life. We can't let those problems get inside of us And I want to talk about kind of a four-step plan, but it's not a plan that you can just rinse and repeat tonight. It's topics in a process that are really enmeshed with each other. So if I jump around a little bit, y'all just bear with me. But the main crux of what I want to talk about tonight is the process of sin, confession, repentance, and forgiveness, and what that looks like for us. As I was preparing for this um, teaching I was texting someone and I saw some emojis in my like recently used uh keyboard. And I was like, "Oh my gosh." Okay, God. This is funny. You're talking to me through emojis. Yes, the Lord was talking to me through emojis. I didn't just have the regular emojis. I made something very pretty in our brand colors here. And that represents what I'm going to talk about tonight. Sin kind of exits us away from God and separates us. But then whenever we confess our sins, we get a chance to repent of our sins. And guess what he does? He forgives us. And that's the cross. That's what the cross is all about. His forgiveness for us in our sins if we are repentant to him. And so, the first verse I want to talk with you guys about tonight is 1 John 1, 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, Purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is one of the key verses I want us to keep in our head tonight, because it holds a promise to us, right? It says that if you confess, God is faithful. And he is just to forgive us if we come to him and confess and repent of our sins. Um, so what does that mean? What is John really talking about here? What is this darkness that he looks at? It's, it's sin. Eek. Wow, we don't really use that word very much. We sing about it. We see writings about it, but we don't talk about it very much. But we need to understand the gravity of our sin and, honestly, what it does to us. You know, tonight I'm talking about some topics we don't really focus on that much. For instance, sin and repentance. Um, We like to live in our clean, beautiful, I've got victory in Jesus type world. And that's great. But there are some things we need to look at. And tonight, um, I found a quote. Well, not tonight. But whenever I was preparing, I found a quote That is kind of old-timey, but it talks about all of these topics. It's by Charles Spurgeon. He was an English minister in the 1800s. And he says, You cannot preach conviction of sin unless you have suffered it. You cannot preach repentance unless you have practiced it. You cannot preach faith unless you have exercised it. If Christ has not made a well deep within us, there will be no outflow from us. And I just pray that that well is becoming deeper inside of me. I'm praying that the outflow of my heart tonight to you guys is heard with clarity and grace and understanding because this whole message is hard truth, but it's a ridiculous grace that we get to understand that he gives to us. Because sin is so pervasive, we can't simply change what we do. Instead, we need God and what he did on the cross to change who we are. So we'll talk about sin for a minute. It's a heavy word. Like I said, we sing about it, but we don't very often look in the face of sin because our sin is ugly. And Scripture has various definitions and different words for sin. You know, in our English language, we have one word for basically everything. All other languages of all time are not like that. But some of the, the things that sin um, in Scripture says is, for instance, rebellion, transgressions, moral failure, they all ultimately are things that separate us from God. How many of you were rebellious as teenagers? Anyone? Okay, so that's a real thing. And while you were rebellious, because you were under the authority of your parents, you were in a form of sin at that time. And so we can look now and think about sins in our life, whether they be sins of omission by not doing the right thing or sins of commission where we do the wrong thing. We look at those and even sins that are in our, our mind and in our thoughts in 1 John 1, 8, it said, if we, have, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I think whenever we're confronted with sin, a lot of times we blame others. That's what Adam did in the garden. He blamed Eve. He said, it wasn't me. It was this woman that you created. Why did you do that? We also very often, we make excuses. We say, oh, it could be worse. It's not that bad. But really, at our worst, We are the same ones who nailed him to the cross, and our sin held him there. You know, for us to fully understand and fully receive this gift that was given to us on the cross, we need to confess and also repent of our sins because those sins placed him there. Our weakness, our mess ups, our ugliness, the sin that's in our life. And if we don't talk about the weakness and talk about the mess-ups and we, you know, all of our sufferings, we really do an injustice to the gospel. And so I want to talk about confession. Too often, the church wants to whitewash things. The life of a Christian, as I was talking about, there's an old hymn. It says, Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. You're welcome for that song. Um, it is... True that we have victory in Jesus, but things aren't always awesome. So it's important for us to look at our life and say, God, put, help us put a light on our sin inside of us, the things that are wrong. And whenever we do that, we confess to the Lord and we bring our sins to Him. King David said, When I kept quiet about my sins, my bones wasted away. We don't need to hide out. We can confess, we can be honest. You know, As I was talking about the the science study, the science study, it sounds so official, the study where it talks about unforgiveness as well, it's awful, it eats at us. Whenever we hold things inside and don't confess things, whether it be to someone we know or to God or in writing, it's really important for us to let it out and let God help us repent and get to the next stage of our life so we can receive the forgiveness he has to give us. So confession in the Greek means to say the same. So we need to say the same about our mistakes that God says. Mistakes, I said. Mistakes that God says. So for instance, God says lying is wrong. We say, yep, I agree. Lying is wrong. And I've been a liar. So that's confession. We say the same about what God has to say about the situation. You know... Another great example of confession is with a parent. So I'm not a parent, but I am a godmother. I have four beautiful god babies, And whenever I used to take care of them and I was getting on to them or they were acting up or whatever, I would always tell them they have to tell me what they did wrong whenever I was getting on to them. I wouldn't just accept a, I'm sorry, and, you know, flippantly walk off. I would get down on level with them and I would say, okay, what did you do wrong? Do you understand why you're in trouble? Do you understand this situation? And I would have the child say to me, yeah, I bit Susie, for instance. Okay, is it wrong to bite Susie? Yes, it's wrong to bite Susie. I'm sorry. I agree. I'm sorry. And then, you know, as a parent or a godparent, then you tell your child, okay, go on, you're forgiven. And that's what God wants to do with us. Whenever we confess to him and take that moment to look at him and look him straight in the face and say, you know what, God? really screwed up. I really messed up. I have missed the mark. I've had a moral failing. I have been rebellious. I have transgressed against you. And he says, yeah, I'm here. I want to take you to the next step of repentance. So I want to give you a little context in scripture that shows the full expression of this quartet of sin, confession, repentance, and forgiveness tonight. So I'll start in 2 Samuel. And here is David after he has um, been with Bathsheba. Um, I think a lot of people are fairly familiar with this story, but I'm going to kind of give you a high level. He's an older man. He's no longer out in the battlefield having a great time. He's at home, and he looks out and sees this beautiful woman bathing in the night, and he says, bring that woman to me. So he, he, she comes to his, his palace. He knocks her up. And he knows that she's married and she belongs to someone else. And so he tries to manipulate the situation and talk to her husband to make him think, hey, you're the one who got her pregnant, all that stuff. And whenever the husband's not falling for it, David basically says, put him on the front lines so I know that he gets killed. And that's what happened. David was an adulterer and he was a murderer all in one fell swoop. And here he is being confronted by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan comes to him and says, there were two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep, herds of cattle. The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children as a member of the family. It ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day, a traveler dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds and flocks to make a meal for his visitor, So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be lynched. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and for his stinginess. You're the man, said Nathan, and here's what God, the God of Israel, has to say to you. I made you king over Israel. I freed you from the fist of Saul, and I gave you your master's daughters and other wives to have and to hold. I gave you both Israel and Judah, and if that hadn't been enough, I'd have gladly thrown in much more. So why have you treated the word of God with brazen contempt, doing this great evil? You murdered Uriah the Hittite, then took his wife as your wife. Worse, you killed him with an Ammonite sword. And now, because you have treated God with such contempt and took Uriah the Hittite's wife as your wife, killing and murder will continually plague your family. This is God speaking, remember. I'll make trouble for you out of your own family. I'll take your wives from right out in front of you. I'll give them to your neighbor, and he'll go to bed with them openly." You did your deed in secret. I'm doing mine with the whole country watching. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against God. And Nathan pronounced, yes, but that's not the last word. Because God forgives your sin and you won't die for it. And then we'll go on to Psalms 51, which is a continuation of David's confession here. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you were right in your verdict and justified when you judge. The amazing thing is that right there you see it. He sins, he confesses, God forgives. And that is such a beautiful picture to look at in Scripture that just shows it all right there to us. David was awful. He was horrible. He was a bad dude. I mean, but in that moment, because he confessed and repented and showed a true repentive heart, the Lord forgave him. The next little Scripture I want to look at is a Scripture that we talk about a lot here. And that's Luke 15 and the prodigal son. And it's a beautiful representation of us and God. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, it's clear throughout Scripture that bringing our stuff out and putting the light on it is God's invitation for us to deal with our issues. And in the confession here, for instance, talking about... You see, the, the father in this story is a representation of the Lord with us. And it says, even while his son was still far off, he saw him. So whenever we are in our muck and our mire, before we've even confessed to him, he sees us and he's just saying, I see you out there and I'm just waiting for you to come to me. I'm just waiting for you to come to me and give you, give me your problems. Confess to me so I can repent, be repentive of you and I can forgive you because really that's all God wants to do. He wants to walk. Welcome us back into relationship with him. And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. You know, in the Jewish times, the practice of dealing with our sins and with confession was super, super public. They would bring a cow into the temple and basically press down on it and try to transfer its sin into the cow before they slaughtered it. Really messy stuff. And, you know, Psalms 32, David says he has a feeling of heaviness before he confessed his sins to the Lord conviction right I think we've all heard that word before whenever we don't confess to God we have a conviction how many of you have ever felt that weight you may not have realized what it was or when it was but it's been something in the back of your mind and that's because you haven't confessed and given it over to the Lord there's 38 secrets that people will allegedly have in their life that are like serious serious secrets that they hold inside of them and allegedly, five of those secrets will never be revealed to anyone. And you know what? It takes us places we don't want to go when we hold on to things. It gives us shame. It gives us hardness of heart. It numbs us to God and the things he wants to do to us. It even numbs us to his voice whenever we have shame and we haven't confessed to him. James five sixteen says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, our engagement with each other is often linked to our engagement with God. This says, confess, can you put it back up there for a second? It says, confess your sins one to each other, right? And pray that you may be healed. So the interesting thing is, God can take care of our issues whenever we confess and repent to him. But here it says, if you confess your sins to each other, you start the healing. So you might feel the weight released, but there's still just some little, you know, you got a little limp from things that are going on. But whenever we confess to each other, the Lord says it will start the healing. Now, I'm not saying that you need to get up here, grab this mic, and just go off on us and tell us all the ways that you have been a moral failure. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm also not saying that we need to confess and go up to people we don't even know. I'm saying you need to use discernment in the people you're in community with and find out a way that you can, you can come together and confess to each other and make it a practice so you can heal together. Because that's what Scripture says happens. And I don't know about y'all, but... I love the idea of healing because there's things inside of us that we think are gone and think are cleaned up, but it's kind of like whack-a-mole. You know, we think it's good, it's all done with, and then whack-a-mole comes up and you have to hit it back down. You have to hit it back down. But that's because we're not healed. We have not been healed. So if we confess to each other, it starts the healing. Bonhoeffer said, One who confesses his sins in the presence of another Christian knows they are no longer alone. They experience the presence of God in the reality of the other. We don't have to handle it on our own. We can be vulnerable. There's no need for a mask. Now, who knows C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia? Um, none of y'all, really? Can I get some? Ac- okay, yeah, I thought so, yeah. Um, the, the, one of the books is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and there's a character in there. Um, his name is Eustace Scrubb. He is the mean, ugly, bratty cousin, And uh, C.S. Lewis even says there was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he was almost deserving of his name. Um, He was really greedy and just rude. And in the book, he steals a bracelet and puts it on. And as soon as he puts it on, he turns into a dragon. And so now the bracelet is like really, really tight on his wrist, and it's just hurting, and it's painful. And he goes throughout the story, and he's just depressed and sad and just... Downtrodden, and then Aslan comes to him, and Aslan is a representation of Jesus. News alert, in case you guys didn't realize. And he says, Come with me, I want to show you something. So he goes with Aslan up a mountain to a beautiful garden, and in that garden, there is a well, a big, beautiful pond. And Aslan says, If you go swimming in this, it's going to get you some relief. I know you have a wound that's going together, and you'll get relief. But he says, you have to take off your, your, your scales and your clothes, basically, to go in. And so Eustace starts trying to get off the scales. And, you know, a little scale's coming off here, a little here, a little there. And he can't do it on his own. And then Aslan says, I can help. And so he says, okay, help me. And then this is from the perspective of Eustace. He says, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself. The other three times, only they had it hurt, and there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been before. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And he threw me in the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it had become perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain was gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. We can't do it on our own. We can't take the the heaviness in our life. We have to confess to others and to God. And we have to look our guilt straight in the face as we confess. Because confession is an act of courage to repent and entrust yourself to our merciful God. He is so merciful, guys. If you look at the span of history and how merciful it is and really take it in, I mean, you would just be gobsmacked of how how much mercy he has shown us as the human race. You know, when we finally trust God with our confession the way Eustace trusted Aslan, oh, the joy. Psalms 32 says, oh, what joy for those who, what did it? Those who, sorry, those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. I want us to try and be honest tonight. Remember I mentioned the study of writing, that um, confessional writing really helps. So there's a paper underneath your seat, and there's a, it says confess at the top. And I would like for you to take a few minutes and ask God, what type of confession you need to give this evening and what you need to bring to him and then write it and hold it so pray ask the lord to search your heart and then confess so you guys can keep on doing that it's good for your soul they say confession is good for the soul but there's more now, as you write that on your paper, I want you to close it up and keep it, hold on to it. But now I want to talk about repentance with you guys. Confession is part of repentance, but they're not always one and the same. You can confess for something and not have repentance in your heart. Repentance is not an emotion that, you know, you're in a church service and your emotions just going, and and you, you repent of something. It, is, it comes from a deeper place in your life. It comes from the will. And in Scripture, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And it means to change your mind and the way you think about a situation. Change the way we've been living and live the way that God wants us to live. And then there's also the Hebrew word, teshuva, which means to return back. God is always wanting us to return back to him. And through repentance, we get to do that. We get to come back to him. We return to God. The whole Bible basically follows this, repent and believe. And I kind of feel like that unless we fully repent and change our mind about our problems and our sin and our messiness and really change our view on what it is. We're looking here and then we change and go here. If we don't fully understand that, it's hard to fully believe the goodness that God has for us and the mercy that he has for us. Um, Repentance also requires consistency. There's a parable in the Talmud law that says, the rabbi said, repent one day before your death, And then the disciples politely questioned whether one could know the day of your death. So the rabbi answered, exactly. All the more reason, therefore, to repent today, lest tomorrow you might die. God isn't thinking when we come to him in repentance, geez, this sin again. My gosh, how many times are you going to come to me with this same sin? He's not thinking that at all. He is there, and he is ready, and he is willing, and it gives him pleasure to forgive us. Because whenever we come to him with repentance, that's the next stage we get to is in forgiveness. Repentance should be as much a sign of a Christian as faith is. It, It needs to be consistent. It needs to go over and over again. Because there's a fantastic thing that happens when a heart has true repentance. In repentance, we not only gain forgiveness for our sin, but we gain the grace to forgive others. So let's discuss forgiveness here. It is a moment that is very mysterious between us and God. Forgiveness pardons the offense that we've done towards God. And he says, come back into relationship with me, right? Imagine if a stranger came up to you and said, all of your debts you have, your house, your car, your college bills... I want to pay for them all and just wipe that debt out. But the one thing I require from you is a relationship. And guess what? That's exactly what the Lord says. He says, I want to forgive all of the sins you have, past, present, future, but I want a relationship with you. I want you to return back to me. If we look back at 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I like the idea of being purified. That's like fresh, brand new, white as the driven snow. That's a really nice idea. And the Lord offers that, but he wants relationship in that moment. Forgiveness definitely glorifies God. His character is to forgive. In the Old Testament, whenever he gives the law to Moses... He, in a way, introduces himself and says all these things about himself. And in Exodus 34 6, he says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He forgives us. He uses the word forgiving to describe himself very early on in the faith. And without forgiveness, this all ends. Everything would have ended in Genesis. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have this beautiful church. We wouldn't be talking about the forgiveness of God if he wasn't a forgiving God. So you don't have to question that at all. He is forgiving. And you might think sometimes, oh, I've just really messed up. There's no way God can forgive me for this. Guess what? You're wrong. He is ready and willing and there to forgive you if you confess to him and have a repentant heart. You know, it's not just about letting go of the past, forgiveness. It is a real thing what has happened between God and also between you and others. But as forgiven people, we should be forgiving people. That is so important to remember, because since God forgave us, we have to forgive others. You know, and the Holy Spirit inside of us will help us to do that. Forgiveness is a very supernatural thing, but unforgiveness, stuff that we hold inside of others, how they've hurt us, holding that inside, it's demonic. Bitterness is not a good look, and we are supposed to look like God the Father, okay? And like I said, we are made in his image, and so we have to reflect that because as forgiven people, we should be forgiving people. And if we can wrap our head around that, our life just becomes so much more vibrant. And a good place to start with the whole forgiveness is of self. We have to learn how to forgive ourselves. And I'm telling you, that's something I've definitely had issues with. I, in the past, I have just been like, I don't know, I, can't, I, think, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. And it's just this like ugly cycle. And the thing is, if God can forgive you, you can forgive yourself. Believe me, you can do that. And whenever you forgive yourself, it just, like I said, it opens you up. Um, Colossians 3.12 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We can't allow unforgiveness to come between us and God. You know, our forgiveness of others is not like God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is once and for all incomplete. He wipes the slate clean. Our forgiveness, though, of others is a one-time thing and an ongoing process Because we deal with the consequences. I use the example of maybe there's a family that was torn apart by adultery. And guess what? Every holiday that comes around, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, there's a broken family. And someone in that moment has to be forgiven. Maybe that's the parent. The children have to forgive the parent. They forgave them, but they are constantly forgiving them because we deal with the consequences of our sin our forgiveness is not the same as God's, but with his Holy Spirit, we can forgive the way he forgives us. Our forgiveness for others is not an apology from our offender. Our forgiveness is not enabling a bad behavior. Our forgiveness definitely is not trust and reconciliation. There are some people that you need to forgive But you do not ever need to have them in your life again. And that's totally fine. Forgiveness of others and of yourself, though, is letting go of a hope for a better past. Because this is where we are, or this is where we've been, this is where we are, and this is where we're going. And God wants us to keep going, and He enables us to go there. And we can't change the past, but we can forgive people who have wronged us in the past forgiveness is how we start healing because unforgiveness will just eat you alive forgiveness is definitely divine it's a beautiful vortex of things that happen in matthew 6:14 says for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. He is faithful to do that. He's not like us. He's not fickle. He he does what he says he will do. And we can have assurance of that in our life. That when we sin and we confess to him with a repentive heart, that he forgives us. And just encasing that and trying to wrap our head around that honestly is really kind of difficult but together we can work work it work it out and that's why it's so important to like i said confess to one, a, one another and you work together and talk about it because if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you i want us to have another moment you have a paper that says forgiveness on it and I would like for you to take it and ask the Lord to help you think of someone that you need to forgive. This can be a hard thing to do. I think a lot of times we don't realize that we have an unforgiveness inside of us. And so if you need someone to help you pray about this before you write it down, We have people in the back that can do that with you and are welcome to pray for you. But I want you to think of someone that if you didn't get caught by the cops, someone that, you know, you you would want to do in. If there's someone that pops in your mind, guess what? You've got unforgiveness right away. And I want you to look at that and ask God to help you understand and start the healing to forgive. Lord, I pray over this moment, God. I ask that you well up inside of your children, the, the places in their life where they have unforgiveness, Lord. I ask you to search their heart and help them see the areas where they, they have fell short because others have sinned against them, Lord. But your scripture says that we have to be forgiving because you have forgiven us, Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord. Take as much time as you want on doing that, and because I want it to be something that is a holy moment, because the freedom that you can gain right now to start the healing, guys, I want y'all to realize how freeing it can be. Whenever y'all get done, as you please, as you wish, I would like for you to come up here. We have a shredder here that's confession and forgiveness. Both of these represent taking it to the altar and giving it to the Lord. Don't worry about the sound, you know, of a shredding paper. We're going to play some music and enter back into worship. Bring it to him. Shred it. Give it to him. Allow him to do what he needs to do to start the healing.